1: You're listening to Satellite Sisters. Thanks for being with us today. I'm Leon Dolan here in Los Angeles. I'm at the Wondery Sunset Studio. I'm a writer and producer in L.A. I actually live in Pasadena. I'm married. I have a couple of college age and above kids and a big German shepherd. And today I'm in the Wondery Sunset Studio all by myself because, Liz, you're in our mystery city of the day. Where are you, (laughs) Liz Dolan?
0: Yeah, this is Liz. I am actually in Portland, Oregon today. If it sounds a little different, it's because I'm just sitting in my hotel room in Portland, Oregon on Skype with my Skype headset, but also like Tuesday Tech Triumph. I'm on a VPN, sisters. You know how everyone warns you, don't use those open Wi-Fi networks. Get mm-hmm. yourself a VPN. So that's what I'm on. I'm a, for my Dashlane service, I'm on a VPN. So you don't need to worry about us getting hacked. Just want to say that. Okay. I wish <laughs> okay. someone
1: would hack us, honestly. <laughs> I Yeah,
0: exactly.
2: that could be news. Hi, this is Julie Dolan. I am the oldest sister. I live in Dallas, Texas. I'm here in my high-tech studio, which is my closet, with my trusty dog, Ollie. Oliver. Um, I am an empty nester, uh, and I have five grandchildren and I've lived and
1: worked around the world, but I'm happy to be here today. Can I say that land? Yes, I know you that's can. your line. No, nope. can yep. I say that? Everybody can say it. I'm happy to be with you, Joel. I'm happy to be with you. Okay. I, one more thing I just want to throw in here before we like get rolling on our show. I think
0: the universe has reached peak podcast now <laughs> because, uh, the oldest man in the world is launching his own <laughs> podcast thing. I read this yesterday <laughs> that uh, Mick Jagger is launching a production studio called Rainy Day Podcasts. He has a deal with the Warner Brothers. And I'm just like, really, Mick? You need that, too? All, the, all you famous people who think, like, now you all get to have a podcast. Personally, I'm just not for it. I think you just need to go keep doing what you were doing, collect your money over
1: there, and leave podcasting <laughs> to the podcasters. But whatever. That's just I can't believe it. That's my Mick Jagger. That's All right. Really
0: excellent.
1: <laughs> do you think he's going to do it in his closet, or do you think he'll? I'm sure he has his own studio.
0: Julie, yeah, I don't think sound he good. the sacrifice that's involved in you know sitting in your bedroom closet at least once a week. He doesn't. I'm sure he hasn't experienced that.
1: No. All right. Uh, you're right, Liz. Peak podcast. Remember in the '90s when everyone was getting production deals at TV studios and everything? It was like anyone yep. who like could put two words together. It's sort of like that now with podcasts, which again is shocking. As people who have been podcasting for ten years, anyway. Yeah. Uh, all right. Speaking of that, on the show today, we have a lot going on. We're of course going to talk about Kobe Bryant's the biggest news story, or one of the biggest in the country, and certainly here in Los Angeles, it has put a pall over the city of L.A. and it's where I've lived for the last uh, twenty-seven years. So we're going to talk about the tragic death of Kobe Bryant and all the people in that helicopter on Sunday, a complex and complicated man who left, I think, a complex and complicated legacy. Uh, we're also going to talk, Julie, you're bringing us medical news of the coronavirus. You have some trusted sources. I'm trying to sources.
2: figure this out about how, how what is real and what is not real, and how not to get trapped in all the stuff that's online about this virus
1: and how to get good information. I have some tips. All right, good. Uh, Liz, you're going to bring us some details about the richest man in the world. (laughs) Because
0: apparently we're smarter than him, Leanne. I just want to say my phone has never been hacked, Jeff Bezos. So uh, I'm just saying, you know, and maybe you're hanging around with the wrong friends too.
1: I have some advice on that. All right. And then this weekend, we had a Satellite Sisters adventure. Julie, I'm sorry that you couldn't join us, but the uh, Southern California-based sisters all went to see Sting in his musical, The Last Ship. So we have a review and some details on what it's like to see Sting in his own musical. It was an exciting Ooh, night. I can't, I can't wait to hear this. You <laughs> haven't told me anything about
2: this. No, so
1: this no. Is very fresh keeping you... Oh, Julie you can tell the people were so excited
0: to be there and also we observed it was a different mix than your usual mix
1: like a lot more guys right Lee, we right
0: were so the <laughs> very interesting
1: yeah I- honestly we thought it was going to be all uh women of a certain age you just came to see <laughs> sting in a black t-shirt no matter what the <laughs> <laughs> you know, what Brian, was Brian, what is that's yeah. worth
2: the price of the ticket? <laughs> it was. Yeah. It
1: was. It was completely completely. <gasps> All right. But first, we're going to start with this. Uh, the story of Kobe Bryant, like a lot of people here, uh, you know, Sunday morning started with a bunch of texts. Oh, my gosh. Did you hear about Kobe? Oh, my gosh. Did you hear about Kobe? Some stunning news that Kobe Bryant and his daughter, Gianna and seven others were killed in a helicopter crash here in Southern California. Uh, I have to tell you, I I just really was, it was stunned. And then by Sunday night, I was just heartbroken, mainly because of this. I mean, I've been a sports parent in Southern California for a long time. And I have spent a lot of time on the freeways and the byways of Southern California, driving my kids to sporting events. And that's just what struck me initially that like, oh my gosh, those kids were just going to a basketball game. Sure. It was a fancy mode of transportation, but those teammates lost their teammates. Those families were just know. destroyed. Oh my gosh, the wife at home with the new baby. And and then the other family, the mother and the father and the daughter died, orphaning two other children at home. Just a lot of families uh, really tragically affected by that. But then you start to think about the legacy of Kobe Bryant and it's complex and it's complicated. You know, when I when Kobe first moved here, I was a basketball fan but not a Laker fan cuz you know, the Lakers, whatever. I didn't like them very much. I'm not from California. not the Showtime type. I would not the Showtime type. I had a I had my reasons for it, Liz. I had my reasons for it. And I was so excited to watch him. He was such an exciting and dynamic player and he You know, looking back now, I don't think I appreciated how really, really young he was when he moved here, how inexperienced he was in terms of life like how difficult that must have been famously he went right from high school to the NBA but he had grown up in Europe for a while he had a very different upbringing than a lot of his teammates and he didn't have a, even a year or two in college uh, and but I was excited to watch him it was fun to turn on the Lakers again he had the reputation of being the hardest working player out there maybe he wasn't so lovable uh, but you know you could appreciate his work ethic and then there was the rape allegation I thought, oh, for gosh sakes, darn it. Like just when I was really getting to like the Lakers and this whole thing. uh, So that really complicated for me uh, the whole my appreciation of Kobe Bryant. He was accused of rape in a Colorado hotel. Uh, He was never charged. He formally apologized. He settled out of court with the alleged victim. But it certainly sort of colored my perception of him. And yet he really plowed on. You know, he he just kept going and he didn't really care what people thought about him and he took ownership of the team and he literally grew up before people's eyes here in Los Angeles. So that I just had a lot of complicated feelings about him, but he certainly was an incredible athlete for sure. For sure. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, that was a shocker on, uh, on Sunday morning and you sisters know that I, I knew Kobe Bryant and I met him In a really unusual way, because I worked in sports for a number of years, I knew a lot of professional basketball players, but I, I had never met Kobe Bryant, he was sort of a generation behind when I worked in, uh, in sports, but in, it was like 2014. I got an email just in my normal Liz Dolan email box that purported to be from Kobe Bryant. And the message was really nice. And it was this person pretending to be Kobe Bryant saying, like, he wanted to meet me, had heard a lot about me, and he's, you know, was a real student of marketing. And could we get together and talk about marketing? And it was signed Love Kobe. And I just, <laughs> and, and I just deleted it. Like, I didn't for one second think that it could really be Kobe Bryant. I I deleted the message. And then like a week later I was away in Asia for business and my assistant at the time Mia excitedly emailed me and said someone from Kobe Bryant's office just called here looking for you. And like what should I do? And I said I said Mia I don't know Kobe Bryant and there's no way that Kobe Bryant is calling me. And I told her I had deleted the message and she's like, how could you delete a message from Kobe Bryant? I said, well, because the email was Kobe at Kobe Bryant.com. And I thought there's no way Kobe's email is Kobe at Kobe (laughs) Bryant.com. So, okay. And people accuse me of being like quick to judge and make decisions. Apparently, yes. So, so she said, well, would you mind if I called this number back and I maybe verify if it is him? I'm like, okay, knock yourself out. That is not really Kobe Bryant. And anyway, so (laughs) so then she called me back. She's like, yeah, it's really Kobe Bryant. And he would really like to talk to you. And I said, okay, so we set something up. When, for when I got back to the U S and then that evening I was out walking my dog at the time that was Ferris. And I got a text from Kobe Bryant saying, just checking to make sure, is it okay if I call now? And, uh, so I'm like, yeah, sure. Just out walk my dog. So, <laughs> so the phone rang and it was in fact, Kobe Bryant. And, uh, and we spent, you know, more than an hour on the phone. it's he it's when he was thinking he knew his basketball career was coming to an end, but he was trying to figure out what he wanted to do next. And you know, he's super interested in marketing. And so we were just talking about all kinds of things. And then it's interesting you mentioned how young he was, Leanne because right. when when we first started talking, he mentioned that he really liked Santa Monica because when he first moved to l a, he was eighteen. And he he was living in a house. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah super living- young. Yeah, super young. Super young. And he was living alone in a house in Pacific Palisades. And he said, I didn't really have any friends. I didn't know anyone here. So I would go hang out at the Santa Monica Promenade. You know, just walk around. Like So he would go to the mall. He was an 18-year-old boy playing for the Lakers, but going to the mall and hanging out when... You know, when he wasn't practicing with the Lakers. So, yeah, that's how young he was. Anyway, so we had this nice long chat, and he was really smart and also surprisingly forthright. Like, he was saying things to me that I thought, at one point I even said to him, you know, uh, I'm a stranger, and I would just recommend you not say things like that to strangers. (laughs) Only only because he was say he was sort of measuring himself against other players and what they did when they retired. And he's like, Well, I don't want to be like that guy. He hasn't done anything but played golf since the day you retired. And that's when I was like, Okay, Kobe, I mean your secret's safe with me, but I wouldn't say that out loud if I were you. So anyway, so we had this nice long chat. He said, Let's get together again in person. So, like, two days later, he called again, and he said, my good friend, Patrick Soon-Shang, is speaking downtown on Friday um, about medical breakthroughs. And it was a big convention for the, it's called, like, YPO, the Young Presidents Organization. Uh Uh Right. And Patrick soon was, he he made a billion dollars inventing all these medical breakthroughs. He was a part owner of the Lakers, but he is now the owner. He is the billionaire who recently bought the LA times. So, but he and Kobe were super good friends. So Kobe said, come with me. Okay. Do you want to come? And uh, it's going to be really interesting. I'm like, Okay. So that's, and then, but then I was like, it was a Friday. I was supposed to go to work and everyone in my office was like, are you kidding? Just go. <laughs> yeah. It's so, hard to underestimate what well, a huge, huge presence say, Kobe and is And as I'm arriving, I get a text from him saying, I'm running late. Go in. They will seat you in my seats and I'll just sneak in when I get there. And uh, so I go in, they put me in the front row. It's just me and Pau Gasol from the Lakers, the center for the Lakers sitting in Kobe's seats. So that was weird. And then he arrived like, I don't know, like 20 minutes late in the dark after the program had already started. And this just really sticks with me. He said, I'm really sorry. Sorry to be late. I had to take my daughters to school. And then he had just flown there in a helicopter. He took his daughters to school in Orange County and then his helicopter took him and landed right on the hotel next to where we were. So, and then he treated me like I was his long lost best friend, super nice guy. And then, so in this this YPO thing, like one of the speakers was the Dalai Lama and one of the speakers (laughs) was Bill Clinton. It was just this insane thing. And at one point during the break, He's like, they asked me to come backstage. Let's go. So we we start to go back there, and the Secret Service would let him in, but not me. And uh, <laughs> you're pretty sketchy you know, going in. And they're like, we're sorry, Mr. Bryant. No, she cannot go in. So he goes in, and like two minutes later, he comes back to the door with someone else who's like in charge, and they're like. Okay, you can come in. Kobe would like <laughs> you to come in. So <laughs> he, he brings me in, and he's the next thing I know, he's introducing me to the Dalai Lama and Bill Clinton. It was just an insane Can you imagine? It no. was an insane scene. Yeah. Yeah. No. What I, he was just well, only,
2: only Liz he, Dolan, that the story He was just a super
0: thoughtful yes. and interesting guy. Very, you know, people describe his kindness. I think, I think, Leanne, that's why the sexual assault part of his history right. is so jarring, right. because so much of him was. Not that way. Anyway, so uh, so we we had like that was a delightful day. But then we went back into the meeting, and at one point, the security got totally out of hand, and they um, and he was just getting mobbed. Like the Dalai Lama and Bill Clinton were backstage; they were safe. But Kobe was out front with like thousands of people, and at one point, we got so mobbed that he just grabbed my hand and he said. We're leaving right now, and he pulled me through this crowd. And everyone's like, "Kobe, Kobe," taking selfies. And he's trying to be nice, and he's taking some pictures. But we're just slowly winding through the crowd. And then we get to these doors that open to the back alley. And again, the Secret Service is there because you know the Dalai Lama and Bill Clinton are are in the house. And and he just said to them we're going out that way. And they like parted and said, sure, Mr. Bryant, whatever you need. And so we sort of bust through these doors and then we're standing in this back alley and he just picks up the conversation we were having like about marketing as if none of this had just happened. Like he was so, I was just shocked at how calm he could be being so overwhelmed by the people that wanted a piece of him. So we stood in this back alley for like 30 minutes just chit-chatting and then I had to go because I had a real job that I had to go to and he was going back up to the roof of the Ritz-Carlton to fly home and like some cops came by and they were all like hey Kobe and they were like hey guys good to see you and then so then. After that, we we remained in touch, like occasionally he was a texter, so I would get a text from him, he would be asking me my opinion on something, or I would occasionally do the same. And then just as it happens, like I texted him last week because I'm working on this project with a lot of young track and field athletes. And I thought, I thought Kobe would actually be able to give me some good advice about what to do and how to work with these athletes. And uh, so I texted him and I, I did not hear back. And I mean, and now I know I'll, I'll never hear back. And it's not, so it's not like we were close friends, but we were, we were friendly enough that we could just communicate like that. And he was just, you know, such a great mentor to so many young athletes. I knew that would be something he would be helpful, helpful with. So anyway, it's, it's just super sad to see someone like that, to lose someone like that with his daughter and everything you guys already set up. But that's my, my me and Kobe story sort of out of the blue. We were, you know, friendly. I would say that we were friendly.
1: Uh, Liz, I I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how unusual that is for a professional athlete to have those sort of interactions and those kind of breadth of interest that he had because you've worked with a ton and usually when they're in their sport they're in their sport and that's it but that was not Kobe.
0: Mm -hmm. No Kobe was not that way at all for me it was very unusual yeah I know plenty of other athletes but they're not texting me in their spare time for like with observations about like business trends and things. And and he would do that or creative issues. And I always, whenever I talked to him, he was obviously reading a lot and studying a lot. I always felt like part of that was the fact that he didn't go to college, Liam, oh. that he was, so he, w- he worked very hard on, I don't know, maybe learning the things he knew he didn't learn in college. You know, he wasn't you know, apologetic about it. He was just, he had a a very wide range of interest. And I learned later, I heard this from Martha Stewart, actually. I remember Martha Stewart saying once that, well, you know, Kobe Bryant, he's famous for just calling people out of the blue when he wants to meet them. And that's how I met Kobe. He just called me. and So he called Martha Stewart, too. So apparently, like, I don't want to position myself as being special in any way. This was just how, how Kobe rolled. And he he stayed in touch with people. The fact that you could, like, text him and he would usually respond and, you know, yeah, super unusual.
1: Yeah, you know, when I was at the Hollywood Bowl a couple of years ago watching John Williams – um, Kobe Bryant came out on stage. He was an unexpected guest. They had just created that what would become an Academy Award-winning short piece, "Dear Basketball," the animated piece. And so John Williams told the story about how he was just sitting in his, you know, in his studio one day, and he got a call from Kobe Bryant. And Kobe was like, "Hey, I'm thinking about doing an animated movie. Would you do the score? Like, uh, you know, because of course he would call John Williams. Like, who else would yeah. you call? And you're Kobe Bryant. And so he came out to read the read the script of Dear Basketball live with the orchestra playing and the animation. And I was surprised that we were sitting really close. We had those really good seats from our friend. So I'm two rows away. And he was overwhelmed at the experience of walking out onto the Hollywood Bowl and seeing 20,000 people Um, Cheering for him. And I was surprised that he was uh, so overwhelmed because, you know, humility was not really his thing during his playing career. So it was interesting. It was interesting to see what that experience meant to him. And he said winning the Oscar actually meant a ton to him because it was something he had never dreamed of. Like winning an NBA title, winning an Olympic gold medal, he had dreamed of that, but he had not dreamed of the Oscar. Well, he's a complicated man. Uh, You know, LA is a morning. Uh, we spent a little bit of time on this, but um, Liz, thanks for sharing that. Uh, mm. We're the Satellite Sisters. We're going to be back with a few things. First, we want to thank our sponsors. Liz, you know we love talking about FrameBridge, don't we? We do. <laughs> because, <laughs> because, because there are just so many fun things to frame, Leon, aren't there? Right. Anything. You can just upload a digital photo from your phone and they can print it and frame it. And that is a gift right there, a gift people would love getting. Visit FrameBridge.com or see a local FrameBridge store to get started and custom frame just about anything, like a Bruce Springsteen set list. That's FrameBridge.com. Thanks, FrameBridge. All right. We're the Satellite Sisters. We're back. Uh, Julie, take it away. You have a health update for us. What's happening? Well, it's the coronavirus, which
2: I know we are all concerned about. Uh, the we, Here it is Tuesday, the 28th, and as of this morning, China's death toll has risen to 106 people have died from this coronavirus, and they are reporting 4,500 cases. We have Five confirmed cases here in the U.S., and um, as of yesterday, the U.S. State Department has now recommended that people avoid all non-essential travel to China. And right before we did this podcast this morning, Liz and Leanne, um, I was listening. Uh, they had they were from the the director of the National Institute of Health was giving the latest information about this, and they had a map that was had been created by Johns Hopkins of the world and. Where the cases were. But when you look at this map, this is what is freaking me out. They had circles for the cases, and the number they had a very large circle that covered most of the size of the country of China on the map. So it really wasn't to scale, you know what I mean? But you see these maps, and I think everybody gets alarmed. And there's so much misinformation online about the scale. Of this uh, virus, and you know, people are just tossing around pandemic. That I, I just, you know, I think you really have to be careful about where you go for information. And I have two sources. First is the CDC. I'm going to do exactly what the CDC says. I listen to the CDC, and I don't want to listen. I want to listen to them online. I want to read it online or listen to them directly. I don't want it interpreted by any journalist. I want to figure that out. And then the second source of information that I find is very, very helpful is our satellite sister, Erin, who is stationed in Beijing. She's there. Her husband is a naval attache. We were just talking about her on last week's podcast. Um, and she has a um, blog called Deployment Diatribes. And she posted uh, just two days ago some of the situation that, that they're experiencing there in in Beijing. And she said that they are essentially hiding from the virus, they, that they have stocked up a non-perishable food and water. They have their masks because they, they have them anyways because of the uh, pollution in Beijing. They're staying isolated. Uh, Aaron, who usually goes to the gym five or six times a week, has decided that the gym is too germy, so they're just... Um, you know, staying home and the schools, the international school um, that her sons go to um, is is going to stay closed uh, just as a precaution so they don't spread the virus. But do you know what I mean, sisters, that it's hard to get accurate right. information? Right, right. Yeah, it's
0: all I mean, people are so afraid. Uh, By the way, I put a link to uh, to Erin's blog in our show notes. So if you want to read what her firsthand experience is, you can go directly to deployment diatribes. But yeah, that must be pretty scary to be where it's all happening and know that your own government there in China is not exactly giving you the straight scoop. Right. Right.
2: I mean, that that you can't really rely on them. I mean, obviously, they've contained, you know, they've taken extraordinary measures, much greater measures that they did when there were, you know, than the two previous virus outbreaks that had happened previously. I mean, that they have quarantined essentially 50 million people. And that even in the center of this virus, the epicenter of it, they're trying to build additional hospitals in a like a two-week time frame to uh, to get more care in there. Uh, but they, you know, the Chinese government not the greatest for <laughs> free flow of information. So. Um, you, know, I, you know, I think that you just have to be vigilant with what our government is saying and that they are really ramped up and taking precautions and trying to, you know, work out protocols and screen as many people as they ca- can coming into the country.
1: Well, we have another listener, Leah, who teaches at a secondary school right. in Beijing and she they just left. So they just decided they just got on a plane and went to Thailand for an unplanned anything. She doesn't even know how long she'll be there or where they're gonna stay. They just felt like they had to get out of Beijing. So we are getting some information from our satellite sisters around the world, but it must be pretty scary. I mean let's it is to, scary.
2: Yeah. I think you do need to recognize the scale and to realize that Asia is huge. And uh, the country of China is huge and that to try to keep things, you know, to be vigilant, keep washing your hands and and trying to get accurate information. I think if you just go online, you could scare yourself.
1: Right. You know, right. Well, this is sort of apropos of nothing, but we did have to discuss the coronavirus at my investment club this week, and that was just a room of women who had almost no information trying to <laughs> suss out the impact of the coronavirus on the global economy. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Jill. But um, well, I mean, again,
2: yesterday the stock market reacted. You know, it was down. Um, you know, several hundred points. Uh, you know, again, people don't have accurate information. They're looking at maps that are not to scale and or, you know, looking at very alarming pictures that may or may not be representative of what's really going on. So I think we are fortunate, Satellite Sisters, that we have some people with, you know, that are very reliable firsthand information and that you can can get information from the CDC online.
1: Well, we felt like we had good information because unbelievably at our investment club, this is a club I joined a year ago to learn about stocks. And I have to say, it's been slow going for me, but I'm really trying to understand things. So we have occasionally, it's very well run, it's very professionally run, people are serious, we have timelines, we have all these papers and documents we have to look at, and we had a guest speaker this week, and it was Kai Rizdahl from Marketplace. You're the host of Marketplace. Wow, that's a pretty yes. stand invest- That's a very fancy and impressive yeah, fancy. investment club. Yes. Like well, and it happened, I happened to be hosting this week because I signed up about a year ago thinking, well, I don't really know anything about stocks, but I do know food and beverage. And so I am happy to host. Like, that's an area <laughs> where I can excel. Profit and loss, not so much. But food and beverage, yes. So we had a full house. I had 23 women in the house for Kai doll who happens to be the brother-in-law of one of the members. That's, that's how oh. he ended up in my living room. Because even my husband was like, Kai Rizdahl going to be in our living room. I go, yeah, it's a very, I told you, this is a very high-powered club and then I'm in it. So, uh, but he did say, he mentioned the coronavirus and that that could take like a big effect on the stock market. And one of the groups was actually presenting a Chinese stock this week, Alibaba. So we were trying to decide if we should invest in that and then weighing the coronavirus on the worth of Alibaba and that is just like throwing spaghetti at the wall is basically <laughs> that's exactly yeah. it yeah. We, no way of predicting like what that outcome was going to be but we talked about it this week we talked about it this week so okay all right, well, that was helpful, Lynn. Yeah, so you're so not giving, I'm
2: glad you're not giving out either stock no, tips no. or guidance on what to do no, with the coronavirus. No. Yeah, Throwing yeah. spaghetti at the
0: water. Was Kai giving you stock tips or he was just generally like teaching about
1: investing overall? What was his pitch? His, his pitch, was he was talking about the global economy and things to watch hey. for in the global economy over the next couple of years, uh, or the next year, really. And and he had he had mentioned the coronavirus that you just don't know what that's gonna that effect might have. And then it just so happened that we had this Chinese stock coming up. So that's, it just really dovetailed. And that story just kind of blew up in the last two days right before the meeting on Sunday. So the people who picked the stock certainly didn't anticipate that, you know, a month ago when they picked it. So. It was, he was, he was very knowledgeable. I have to say he was an excellent speaker. He filled his 20 minutes. People had lots of questions for him. Like he took 10 minutes of questions and people were just firing questions about everything from the cost of college to, you know, presidential election and and its impact. And he had responses to everything. He knows his stuff is what I would say. Did he ever say, let's do the numbers? No. (laughs) Shoot, Liz. Shoot. We should have ended with that. We should have ended yeah. with that. I, I, I was very busy with the food and beverage portion of the <laughs> evening. And then, of course, right as he started to speak, that's when my dog busted out of the master bathroom where I had locked her. And so, <laughs> so I was also, like, corralling a 100-pound German Shepherd and getting her in the laundry room during <laughs> during his talk. Oh, that so, seems like that seems like easy breezy uh, hosting you were doing there. Really Lynn. was it was it was a joy. It was great. It was great.
0: Okay. Uh, hey, well, as long as we're talking about international business, who knew this was going to be a major theme of Satellite Sisters today? I do want to mention the details that came out last week that Jeff Bezos, aka richest man in the world, had his phone hacked by Saudi Prince Mohammed bin Salman who's known as MBS everywhere but here on Satellite Sisters, because I think that sounds stupid. Um, and apparently they were like texting buddies. And over WhatsApp, they had a lighthearted chat going that was described by cybersecurity experts as embarrassingly earnest texts. And divorced dad memes, because Jeff Bezos, yeah, going through a little bit of a midlife crisis. So, you know, which is very cute, except when you realize that Mohammed bin Salman is the guy who had journalist Jamal Khashoggi murdered and dismembered right. in uh, in their Turkish embassies. So this is a side note, but maybe pick your friends more wisely, Jeff. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Uh, anyway, his phone got hacked, and among other things, his private nude photos made it out into the world. So I was, at first I was thinking, well, if, you, if Jeff Bezos can get hacked, then pretty much anyone can, right? But then it appears that he just clicked open a file from his good buddy, um, uh, Mohammed bin Salman. And, and I thought, well, as I've already proven... I didn't even click open an email message from Kobe Bryant. So <laughs> Yeah. So so I gotta say, if you've been trying to reach me through Facebook Messenger or share a cute video over email and you're wondering why I have not LOL'd you back, well now you know for years I'm just I'm just not the click on it girl. No. Which certainly makes
1: me smarter than Jeff Bezos. So that's my <laughs> mess.
0: That's my
1: that's my conclusion today. You a, just, just, to remind, just a reminder, yeah. Jeff Bezos is the founder of Amazon. If you don't all recognize right. him, just so you know, yes. So he's the guy with all your data.
2: <laughs> yes, I've been, uh, Liz, I've been following Jeff Bezos, too, I would say on two tracks, sort of the high and the low track. That would be the Wall Street Journal and the National Enquirer. Because, yes, it appears that he was hacked by opening up a video. Who does that? Yeah. Um, um, But then it also appears, this is what federal uh, prosecutors are saying, that it is his new girlfriend, Lauren Sanchez, that gave the nude pictures to her brother, and then those were the ones that were uh, about to be circulated in the National Enquirer. And if Jeff Bezos had just listened to Satellite Sisters, because I think this has been a golden rule of Satellite Sisters for... uh, for almost 2 decades mm-hmm. which is no nude pictures right. they're going to get out right <laughs> no nude pictures right they if you just just don't exist yeah. that's a rule <laughs> yep right so uh yeah so that uh so i i do sort of high and low uh reporting on that liz um uh, but federal prosecutors um have traced all of the pictures back to the brothers so oh. they that sounds like just a fun fun relationship that they got going there <laughs> But uh, I did, you know, I, I, I saw this week and I was, I have to say, I was all um, eyes because I was reading this. I saw an article that was in the New York Times travel section, which I love. And, that, and the article was entitled, How to Be a Kinder Traveler. And don't you want to do that? I was like, I'm all in. Okay, what's this? What What do we have to do to be a kinder traveler when we travel? Okay, so here are the list of things that we can do. Okay, Address employees by their name. Offer compliments. Be curious about the culture you're visiting. Uh, uh, make small talk. And if you happen to be on an island, perhaps um, uh, make conservation efforts, like don't use up all the water.
0: I, I just <laughs> thought this is sort of basic human interaction. <laughs> don't you think? Right. So you're th- you're saying not a big insight.
2: I I haven't seen any insight on that. I mean, that is human interaction. That is like like the baseline. We can do better than that, people. Okay? I think we can do better than that. And I'm going to give you one tip, which is something I learned from one of my good friends, Susie, who is a world traveler. You know what she does when she uh, travels overseas? She brings pictures of her family and of her pet and sometimes of her house. And she uses that... Uh, as a way to start up conversations with people in the marketplace, people, you know, taxi dri- cab drivers, anyone. So just even if there isn't the language there, the human connection, you know, that, you know, people see a picture of your dog and in some cases they can't believe it or, you know, it's, yeah. I think that is,
0: that is good. That's really okay? a really good idea. That's a great think- idea. I have never heard of anyone doing that. We all have all of our pictures on our phones. So, yeah, sharing photos with people that's a really that's an insightful idea, Julie. You Thank should write you. that. Yeah. I <laughs> should write that for the New York Times. And then the other kind and uh,
2: kind kind thing you can do is tip. Just go ahead and write well, one. right? ok, great. And the New York Times did have a good article uh, update about that. That, you know, you absolutely have to leave a tip when you're in a hotel room. Most of those pe- maids that are working there are minimum wage. And they say it should be the price of a fancy coffee, you know, right. every <laughs> single day. Okay. And yes, if you if you check your bag in a hotel, apparently you're supposed to tip when you drop your bag off and when you pick it up. Because those oh. might not be the same people. Oh. Okay. Okay. That's all kind. Just be kind, and Be right. kind <laughs> and be generous. Bring, bring pictures of your family and your pets and share those around the world.
0: Yeah, and small bills.
2: Okay, and then here is, but here is my big travel question for you today. Um, This past weekend, I was traveling on Southwest Airlines. I had a huge suitcase. When I checked it in, it weighed 48 pounds. And on Southwest, bags fly free, which is great. So I, I, but I got in under the 50 pound mark because over over 50 pounds, you have to pay extra. On the way back, that same bag, that I had did not buy anything. I put the exact same things in it. Weighed forty nine pounds five ounces. So I was right up against, um, right up against the uh, the penalty level. And I asked Nicole, who works at Southwest. She offered. She said, "Well, dirty clothes weigh more." Oh. Really? You know that I don't know that. I don't know that. Have you ever heard that? Is that been your experience when you travel? Like you take clean clothes out and. On the way home, uh, they weigh more because they're dirty. That's just gross. I always felt grossed. like they took up
0: more room. <laughs> I I never figured that out. But no, I never really thought about how much they weighed. You'd have to be pretty dirty for it to weigh something. <laughs> that's not.
2: I don't. I don't know. Well, it's Texas, Liz. You know, we got dust here. I don't know, Liz. But this—that's what Nicole at Southwest said. She okay. said, "Oh yeah, dirty clothes weigh more." That—that's that's right, gross.
1: Well. That's just gross. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, that's a lot of shedding. Okay, I was curious about that. Okay, okay. (laughs) I mean, my clothes weren't that dirty. I know, I know. It's just gross to think about, Jill. Thanks for bringing that up. (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) Insightful. (laughs) Is that it for your travel tidbits? Do you have any more?
2: That's it. That was my tidbit. What are you going to say after after that? No. Do
1: dirty clothes way more. I'm done, yeah. All right, well, you know who we should ask. We should ask Airports and Sunsets. Okay, we have a hashtag over there at Instagram, Sat Sisters Travel, and we've been encouraging people to post on that. Hashtag if you're traveling anywhere, just use it. And when you guys went on your epic adventure to Argentina, or we go various places, we use the hashtag to post our adventures and we want to see your adventures. Well, since June, we have had Airports and Sunsets. That's their Instagram handle posting. And they are having an amazing family adventure. Andrew, Heidi, and Lachlan, they're an Aussie American family and they're traveling around the world. They're currently in India, And whoever, airport or sunset, I don't know which one is posting, but you are having an amazing trip. And thank you so much for using that hashtag because I have really enjoyed following you around the world. Julie, I bet they would be able to answer your question about dirty clothes because if you're (laughs) traveling around the world, they probably haven't even brought 48 pounds of clothes, but they could answer it. But amazing, amazing photos and an amazing family adventure. So if you just want to follow Sat Sisters Travel, you'll see all of their photos, and I'm really enjoying them. So thank you so much to uh, airports and sunset making me happy there making me happy all right uh, coming up we're going to tell you uh, how you may win a copy of the sweetie sisters so you're going to want to get ready for the giveaway that starts next week and we have a little recap of our evening with sting at uh, the last ship musical but first we want to thank some sponsors for satellite sisters liz summer is coming up and you know what that means it means you're grilling you're grilling I mean, and chilling sure. there yes. with your with your butcher box. What what do you got going on the grill this summer? Well, you know, here's the
0: thing. Because I'm going to be up in, in Bend for part of the summer, yeah. I'm having my box sent there, Leanne. That's I mean, great. Go on vacation with your butcher box. Is what uh, what uh, what I'm recommending. By yeah, the way, you're just going to buy <laughs> meat and fish and stuff when you get there. Why do that anyway? You know, I love their steaks. I love their scallops. The scallops are really good,
1: and the chicken thighs, all good. I'm ready. That's right. Butcher Box gives you peace of mind and easy to find high quality meat and seafood you can trust. It's a hundred percent grass fed beef, free range organic chicken, Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash sisters and use code sisters to choose your free-for-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. Thanks, ButcherBox. All right, we're the Satellite Sisters. We're back. I just want to remind people that this week would be a fantastic week to either follow us on Instagram at Sat Sisters or join our Facebook group. It's a private group, so you can just search groups, the Satellite Sisters, and answer a couple of simple questions, and we can approve you. Because next week, we are going to start an Instagram and Facebook giveaway for my new novel that's coming out in April, The Sweeney Sisters. So it's that exciting. Yes, that the giveaway starts! Yay! Yes, it means we're getting closer. We're getting closer to the pub date that we're starting the giveaways. So, uh, so I'll tell you all about the contest rules next week. But this week, get ready! Join Instagram at Sat Sisters or join our Facebook group. We'll be giving away books in both both platforms. And I want to mention last week I said I was beginning the migration. Migration of my new website from my old site. Remember, we just we had a lot of codes and things we had to figure out. Well, it happened. My new website is up. So, if you'd like to check out um, my book or my event schedule, as I know it already, or just the new photos that my son took of me, that I'm very pleased. They're
2: beautiful, Leanne. You look gorgeous in your website photos. Yeah, Yeah.
1: I mean, he did. he did a lot of work. He did a lot of work on my flyaway hair, he said. <laughs> a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of Photoshopping. A lot of Photoshopping. I did say, Do you, can you clean up my neck a little? He goes, Mom, I think it looks fine. So, uh, you know, I, okay, all right. He wasn't going. I'm not getting a full Photoshopped face. So it's my son's interpretation of what I look like. But he did a great job. So you can go to leandolan.com. To check that out. And Lian is spelled L I A N, L I A N Dolan.com. And there's my new website. So there's a lot of information up there about me, me, finally, just hey, me. Hey, <laughs> so. it,
0: it's all about you. We're, all, we're also going to post. You got the congratulations. You got a fantastic review for the Sweeney Sisters and Kirkus Review, which is that's super important in the publishing business, right, Leon? Like it that's,
1: is. The, that's the Bible of the publishing business. And they're kind of cranky. They're usually snarky and cranky in their reviews. So to get an actual positive review from Kirkus was a really big deal. That was a good moment last week when my publisher sent that through. So thanks for mentioning it, Liz. Yes, that's well, up. Yeah. That's
0: great. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a link to that and we'll post it in the Facebook group and tweet that out and put it in the show notes. So uh, congrats.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you. Yes, April twenty eighth is the pub date, but feel free to pre order. Uh, no one's stopping you. So. If you want to get in on the action early, feel free. Okay. All right. This week weekend we went to see Sting in The Last Ship. So, Julie, we were explaining to you last week. Mm-hmm. I bought tickets for Sheila and Liz in September for their birthday. Uh, their birthdays are in September, so we had a delayed celebration this weekend. Sting is in Los Angeles at the Amundsen Theater. His musical is called *The Last Ship*. And to be honest, we we spread some misinformation last year. We didn't know last week. We didn't know all the details, but now we do. So <laughs> okay. we had some that never timing. Never stops. Up. Us. <laughs> details. Yeah, details. Yeah. We were pretty close. Uh, it had debuted uh, this this musical had debuted on Broadway five years ago, and it was nominated for. He got a nomination for a Tony for the music, but nothing else. Was working. The book wasn't working. The people weren't working. And the show closed pretty quickly after it opened, even though it did get a Tony nomination. So what we found interesting, I read in an article in the L.A. Times, was he went back. He's not stopped thinking about it for five years. And he went back and he completely retooled the whole show. Started to keep the music. He added a few songs. He worked with a whole new uh, writer on a completely new book. And he chose to make women... The backbone of the new story, and Liz, I would say that was hundred percent true, wouldn't you? Yes, a hundred percent true. And two things, like.
0: At intermission, I remember, like, turning to you guys and saying, you know what, I didn't have high hopes for this, because it did not do well on Broadway, but this show is really good. Yeah. And then, as we were walking out, I think I even commented to you, like, what I like about is the fact that there were so many primary roles for women, because you think a show about, like, a shipbuilding town, it's all going to be shipbuilders, you know, (laughs) It was really well done. There were some really good,
1: very human stories in there. I enjoyed it a lot. That's exactly what he said in the L.A. Times. Like, he went back and he really studied what had worked and what hadn't worked in the original book. It had a very complicated plot. It was very male-driven. And he said, when I looked at it, I realized that these communities, these in northern England and Belfast, these sort of unique shipbuilding communities are really held together and driven by the women. So... The, the musical is really a, a sort of an uplifting tale of like workers taking back the shipyard and the women that hold it together. And, you know, the men that are going to the shipyard every day and building the ships. But it was super enjoyable. We really liked it. The music is flat out beautiful. It's gorgeous. Uh, the production we saw, which is touring, had an unbelievable cast of actors i mean some of the best singers i have ever heard live on stage i mean does sting sing in the in the show Yes. yes yeah he's he plays like uh the he plays like the foreman of the ship the ship building yard and uh and he sings julie he's he is not a broadway singer would you say (laughs) liz would you agree with me on that yeah. yeah, I would say he's a
0: you know he's a pop singer and he's he's a pretty good singer. But then standing next to these amazing like West End actors from London who can truly belt it out, you're like, wow, there's a difference between these two things. But they're all good. Everyone in it is good. Yeah, oh, it's totally
1: enjoyable. I felt like in a couple of scenes, Sting looked like he really missed his guitar. Is what I. <laughs> <laughs> like, he, if they just could have held a guitar on stage, I feel like he he would have f- felt it a little been a, bit more. Been a little more comfortable? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But in general, the show is uplifting, and it, the music is great, and again, fantastic cast, and there is Sting. Uh, he does not wear a black T-shirt. He's in oh. a tweed suit most of the time. So, Ooh, okay. you know, just to let people know, it's not going to be like the synchronicity tour. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but it was interesting to me. He said he grew up listening to a lot of Rodgers and Hammerstein Had always wanted to uh, write a musical. That was what his mom listened to when they were growing up, including a lot of Celtic and Irish and Scottish and Northumbrian folk music. And that all factors in. I mean, the score is really great. There's just some flat out beautiful love songs. There's one like really good pop song right in the middle of it that sounds like it was lifted from a police album. So I think if you have tickets already, you will enjoy this. Uh, you will be very happy yeah and Mm -hmm. oh that sounds good yeah okay and and we enjoyed our evening and of course Sheila said at the end during uh during the curtain call Sheila just yelled at Roxanne and that was funny (laughs) that made me laugh (laughs) I'm sure nobody's ever done that before (laughs) totally new totally fresh totally
0: fresh (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, listen, Leon, I have something that I think you will enjoy, and I think a lot of our satellite sisters will enjoy, and that is the Netflix documentary Cheer. Have you heard about this? I have heard great yes. things. I've okay. Heard great well, things. I have
1: not watched
0: it, so do tell.
2: Oh, so this is a six-part series, and it follows... Um, it follows uh, the cheerleading champions, the NCAA cheerleading champions and they're from uh, a small college in Texas, the Navarro Community College. And this is you know competitive cheerleading. So these are not, These are not people like standing on the side. These are, you know, the ones in Orlando where they're doing those incredible pyramids and they're flipping and, and, and jumping and leaping and they're throwing cheerleaders and other people are catching cheerleaders. That's what it's about. So it's about this small town. And I think... You know, like my, like many people, I you know, I had in my mind sort of a stereotypical t- cheerleader. Somebody, you know, blonde, upper middle class family. That's not who is at Navarro Community College. What's amazing is you follow this story of these student athletes, and they're in a sport where... They don't go on to any professional cheerleading. They just do this for the love of the sport. But you follow these athletes that have come from such a wide background. They're not all from Texas. They're from all over the country because Navarro Community College has won the national championship 14 times. Wow. So they are the powerhouses. They are the ones to beat. And they are led by Coach Monica. And she is, so, you know, such an amazing person, you know, that you come to know as she takes really sort of responsibility for these kids. You know, one, like Lexi, one of the cheerleaders, she said, well, if she wasn't cheering, she would probably be in prison. I mean, that many of these kids have come from very, very difficult backgrounds, some of whom have never even had a responsible adult in their life. But they have developed this love of cheering, all you know, all backgrounds, all races, you know, different sexual orientations. They're all accepted. They're all part of Coach Monica's team, and you just start rooting for these kids, for Lexi and Gabby and Ladarius and Jerry and Morgan, and you just you're just like so glad that they, you know, that, you know, to watch them and to see the talent, you know, sheer talent, but you also understand like, you know, this is a very dangerous sport. In fact, it's one of the most dangerous sports, um, in, in the NCAA. And there are a couple of times when they're falling on their heads and, you know, but they, it's just a very compelling series. And, uh, I would highly recommend it. And I think it's very uplifting, um, to really understand student athletes and uh, to understand a coach that really is putting the athletes, the student athletes first and helping them in such a fundamental way. So uh, I would recommend it. It's Cheer on Netflix, six part series, and you should definitely see it. All but right. it is filmed in, I mean, the, the town, the uh, Navarro Community College is in Corsicana, Texas, which is about 50 miles south of Dallas. And of all my friends were like, "Oh, you got to see that, you know, because it's in the fruitcake capital of the world." I was like, "What are you talking about? Did I, did I did not know this, but apparently Corsicana, Texas, is the fruitcake capital of the of the world. That they make a deluxe fruitcake there, the Collins Street Bakery, and they make a million fruitcakes a year. Thirty thousand fruitcakes a day come out of Corsicana, uh, Texas.
1: 30,000?
2: Thirty thousand a day. They have to have hire extra people around the holidays, but they and they produce a million a year, Lian. Okay? I thought it's there was just Tra-
1: the one fruitcake that we kept passing no. from person to person. No, no, no. Lian,
2: this is this is it. No, oh my this is gosh. an old
1: German recipe. Wow. Okay. I mean there's
2: so Um, this is a really big deal for Corsicana, Texas. I didn't know that. I want to pass that on. (laughs) There is is a scene. (laughs) They do mention this in the documentary about the fruitcake. So I just wanted to give you some background information about this. Okay. Oof, that's a lot of fruitcake, my friend. That father. is a <laughs> lot of fruitcakes. It's an old German recipe. There's another group in Georgia. They have an Italian recipe. They make more of a log fruitcake. This the one, uh, this is a circular f- fruitcake. You've seen this.
1: I've seen them. No, I know what you're talking about now. As soon yeah. as you said circular, got it. Boom, got it. Okay. Well, even more reason to watch the cheer documentary now. You get cheerleading and fruitcaking. So that's it's <laughs> incredible. <laughs> okay, Some good insight there. Thank you, Julie. Uh, all right. We would like to thank our advertisers on today's Satellite Sisters, and thanks to you. Uh, your support of our t- advertisers is really what makes the Satellite Sisters podcast possible. So thanks very much, Satellite Sisterhood. A special thanks to Sergio Enriquez today, who is dealing with a lot, a lot happening in the booth here. And so we appreciate Sergio always making us sound good. We should say in the beginning, if you're wondering, why is Liz talking over her sisters? Liz couldn't hear us, but uh, we yeah, just... just <laughs> <laughs> just be honest i mean liz is usually very generous with her time and she's just yeah. talking over us because she had muted us unexpectedly, <laughs> <laughs> unexpectedly.
0: See, this is what happens you think it's so easy well i'll just do it on skype from my hotel room and then i don't know then you hit the wrong button on your laptop and next thing you know you're just doing a five minute monologue oh well yeah. but <laughs> you know it was an important story for me to tell so i hope it's okay
1: all right uh our to do list for the For the week, Uh, Julie, what's happening today?
2: Well, I'm going to hear Tara Westover, who wrote the book Educated. She's speaking tonight at a fundraiser for the organization I work for, educational first steps. So I think it's going to be a great night uh, to hear Tara
1: and great for my organization. Oh, good. That should be interesting. Can't wait to hear Mm -hmm. what you say next week on the show about that. All right. I have my to-do list is actually a call out to numerologists out there. If anyone's into numerology, I would love your assistance. My son, Colin, will actually be 22 this weekend. So he's turning Uh 22 on 02-02-2020. That's a lot of twos. I don't know what that means, <laughs> numerologists. So I want you to let me know. Should I do something special? Is this auspicious? Is this a good omen? Or is this going to be a rough year? If you have any insight, any numerology insight, I am open to that. So 22 on 2, 02 2020 Feels like something should happen there. Right, Liz? Okay.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of twos. Well, okay. Thanks for accommodating me today, sisters. I have kind of a busy day. I'm leaving now. I'm actually working with NBC Sports today on something they're creating for the Olympics. So that is uh, super exciting. But then I'll be rushing home to work on all of our podcasts. Now that we have to hold off competition from Mick Jagger. So I'm. You know, this is the Mamba mentality. We're going to crush all these other podcasters. We're going to do. We're going to do it. We're going to. We can hold off Mick Jagger. At the very least, okay Yeah.
1: As soon as we learn how to function the, the mute button, we can hold <laughs> off Mick Jagger. <laughs> exactly. Mick doesn't yeah. know that. He doesn't he doesn't know how that how that works, Liz. So we're gonna be no. one step ahead of him. Way to go. All right. <laughs> uh, sisters have a great week.
0: You too, Lian.
1: And don't forget, call your satellite sister.